What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Anacreates podcast. My name is Alex Krotz, and today I want to talk to you about something that I've been seeing a lot of, and this is kind of a quick crash course, but basically I want to talk about the top five things that I notice a lot of mixers aren't doing in their mixes, or that the issues that I see arising all the time, and I just want to talk about them in general terms to kind of give you an idea of what you should be looking out for when you're approaching a mix, when you're working on a mix. And these come from me doing mix feedback for a bunch of people, and on my website you can find my mix feedback, anacreates.ca slash mixfeedback, where you can submit your song and then I will give you a custom mix feedback, uh, a lot of the time it's a video often, um, where I actually, I listen to the song and then I give you my feedback and what I think you could change, not to just help with that mix, but also to help with your mixing and your productions in general. So you kind of tell me whether you're the songwriter, the artist, the producer, the mixer, the engineer, or any combination of that, and then what you want feedback on specifically. And then I can help you along those lines of what you're looking for help on, and then other things that I noticed. So today we're just looking at the top five, and we're doing kind of an overview. Like I said, it's more of a crash course overview kind of a thing than a very in-depth on each one, because I think it's it's good to just kind of get an overview of what you should be looking for. And I'm working on, I could, I could do a whole podcast episode or videos or courses or anything on each one of these individually, because they can get so in-depth and different things to think about. So we're just going to kind of go some overview uh, today. So first off, the first one is width and panning. So what I find a lot of people do is they they keep a lot of things panned in the center. And what happens is that when everything's panned in the center, or you have a bunch of stuff right in the center and a bunch of stuff way off to the sides, or not quite all the way to the sides, but then they wonder why their mix doesn't sound wide. Now, if you don't pan things all the way to the sides, if you don't pan them 100% to the left or to the right, and then you're adding a width plugin to make it wider, um, you start by panning things all the way to the sides. It's not bad to have things panned all the way to the sides. That's There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you know what you're doing with that. So for instance, a lot of uh, rock stuff, there are hard panned left and right guitars where they're doubled panned left and right. Now, the thing that you have to be aware of is that if you pan something all the way to the left or all the way to the right, you're not going to hear it in the opposite ear, uh, which is where reverbs and delays and other effects comes in to try and kind of help you uh, add it to one side, but also not completely remove it from the other side. Now, if you pan something slightly in, then that's where it starts to come back into the opposite side uh, a little bit. And this is very noticeable more so on headphones because you actually have a direct when people are listening on headphones, they have a direct speaker that does one side of the head and there is no kind of cross feedback to the other side. There's no crosstalk between your ears when you're on headphones. When you're on speakers, it's a lot easier because your right ear does hear what's coming out of the left speaker. It's not as direct, but in headphones, that's not the case. It's actually very direct. So it just becomes a thing when people are listening on headphones. Now, if you do it properly and you add some reverb and you add some other things, then panning to the hard left and right for different types of elements is totally fine. But what I find a lot of people are doing is they leave a lot of stuff center or very close to center and then have the odd thing panned uh, to the side, maybe-ish, but not quite. They're not really committing. But then they want to know why it doesn't sound very wide, why it doesn't sound very big. 
and this comes down to production. This, this does come down to what elements you actually have as well. Um, there are things that you can get around it with panning, uh, as you're doing, uh, different elements that you don't have kind of a double or a thing on the other side or whatever. Um, but they leave a lot in the center and that clogs up the center a lot. So if you have a guitar and a vocal and a, and a drum kit and the drum room and all the stuff all in the center, you really start to compete, uh, with, each other. They are all competing for the same space. If you pan them out a little bit, even if we're not trying to make the widest mix in the world, if we're just trying to get things out of the center, panning things out a little bit. So you kind of leave the vocal, maybe the bass, the, uh, bass should be probably centered. Uh, the more low, low end should be more center based. Um, just that's just the way that it kind of works and the way that we hear. And it just, it works better that way. And it's less clogged up and lopsided when you do it that way. But if you take certain things and pan them off to the sides, even slightly, but you leave the core elements like the vocal, the bass, the kick drum, the snare drum, um, maybe one guitar or something. If it's in the center, if you're going for a more singer songwriter, here's the vocal and the, and the guitar and then like synths and pads and stuff are around them. Then leave that guitar in the middle with the vocalist and the kick drum or whatever, and then pan out, uh, you know, the synths or the pads just slightly. So they're not dead center. So they're not competing nearly as much. They're panned off to the side just to give a bit more space in the panning. This will just clean up your mix and allow it to sound wider and get things out of the way. So the listener doesn't have to try and differentiate what the heck's going on in the center. You can kind of help them out by panning things out and, and widening things out just a little bit. Doesn't have to be wide. Like I said, doesn't have to be a hundred percent left and right, but even 50, 60% to the one side or the other works really, really well. The other thing that I find people do with panning is when they are doing panning and they are kind of moving things out to the side is you need balance. And what I mean by that is if you have an acoustic guitar and you pan it out to the left, uh, and it's even, even 70, 60% to the left, you need something to hold the right side. You need something to hold up the right side. Otherwise the mix starts to sound very lopsided. And I find a lot of people do this when they're trying to get rid of the, the center thing that I just talked about and try and pan things out. What they do is they take a mono element and pan it to one side to get it out of the center. But you need to have the counterbalance. You need to have something, some other element that kind of holds the weight on the opposite side as well. So that your listener isn't kind of going, why is my, this whole thing sounds lopsided right now. So if you have an acoustic guitar, you can pan it out to one side. This is why doubling is often a thing that happens where people take a, a guitar and they double it. This happens a lot more in rock and stuff like that. But you, you take one, you have one thing and you double it so that you can put it on the other side. Now you can adjust the volumes and stuff so that it's louder, slightly louder on one side, but it's not isolated on one side. It still has a counter balancing element on the other side to kind of still be able to feel like there's something over there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, just to avoid that whole lopsided feeling. Uh, often what you could do is if you have a guitar on one side, you could also use delays and reverbs to kind of do a slapback delay that's slightly duller and whatever on the opposite side to kind of help bring that thing. So the element sounds wider then um, to, to kind of encompass what's in the center, the vocal, let's say, but it doesn't sound lopsided. Uh, the other thing you could do is put a guitar on one side and then put a synth or a keyboard or something on the other side. So you kind of take two elements that kind of roughly balance each other in terms of frequencies, in terms of weight in the track, 
um, you can't have like a really aggressive guitar on one side and then this soft pad on the other side to counterbalance it. They kind of have to have some uh, semblance of equal value in the mix, so to speak, um, in terms of level and frequency range and aggressiveness and that kind of thing. It doesn't work very well, (laughs) typically, if you have something very aggressive on one side and very soft on the other side. That doesn't really achieve the balance that you want in terms of not making it sound lopsided. So just something to keep in mind. And this can go down to the production. Um, I often, I double almost everything I record in that sense, because I feel like even if I don't want to use it, even if I don't actually need it in the mix, when I'm recording, I'm like, just grab a double so that I can add it to the other side, even if it's dulled down and not as loud, but it just holds a bit of weight on the other side to allow for that. Now, this whole thing can be used to build up certain sections. So a verse can be a little more lopsided maybe than the chorus. Now I I say a little bit more because you don't want to annoy your listeners and have them feel like they're totally lopsided the whole time. So just something to be aware of. So that's the first one that is panning. The next thing that I always find is height and frequency use. So when you're using uh, height, you know, you can create, I have articles about this on my, on my website, but you can create height with EQ and, and frequencies height, meaning that higher frequencies feel like it's higher up in your head. It's higher. Uh, just, it's got height to it. Um, you can use reverb and delays to create depth so that you're going back further or, or closer to the listener. And then you use panning to do left and right. So with the combination of them, you can really move in a 3d space, uh, Uh, in a mix. So what I'm talking about now is the frequencies and that, that thus translates into the height of something in your mix. The thing that often doesn't happen is people try and keep everything centered, try and keep everything in the mid range because the mid range is where there's a lot of frequencies. That's where a lot of things live. Obviously they don't fully utilize the low end and the high end of their tracks. And what I find a lot is that people filter off a lot of low end on a lot of their elements because they feel like it's muddy. It is very easy to make low end muddy very fast. (laughs) So you have to be, you do have to be choosy with it, but that's exactly the point. You have to be choosy with it, not filter off the low end on everything. And that's what I find a lot of people do is they get rid of a lot of that low end. They try and get rid of a lot of that mud and thus it creates a very thin mix. Um, and then they also don't really utilize the really, really top end stuff. Uh, they've, you know, they get rid of a lot of top end, like really we're talking 16, 17, 18 K obviously we can only hear up to 20 K, but people often forget about some of those upper frequencies and what those upper frequencies do is create air on the track. It just gives it this more open feel to the track. It also gives clarity without needing to be kind of the focus frequency. It just gives clarity to vocals. For instance, that's a really good one to have that air on top. And that's what I talk about a lot in my feedback is adding air to your track. And that is the 16 K and up kind of area is it's underutilized. I find a lot now when it comes to the bottom end, and this is where uh, people filter off a lot of bottom end to, to, you know, minimize the mud. But what you need to do is it's totally fine to do that. If you do it in the right way. And if you choose what elements you're doing that to, and then leave a few elements to hold the bottom end and to almost emphasize and and add more bottom end to them. So for instance, in a rock track or in a, even an indie pop kind of thing in a typical kind of band setup, I guess I should say And Obviously I can't talk about all in this, in this, I can't talk about every genre, but this should give you an idea is your, your kind of your drum kit 
your kick, your bass guitar, the that kind of stuff. That's what holds the low end. So typically I tell people when they have a rocked thing, use the kick drum to have the low, low end, give that impact, add some 60 Hertz, make it the bottom end. Then the the then the bass guitar kind of holds a little bit above that. So it's kind of blending the low end as well to the rest of the, to the mids. That's what a bass guitar is really, really good at. Then the guitars, you can filter out more of the guitar bottom end if the bass is kind of holding down some of that low end. Often in a lot of rock tracks, the bass guitar is almost doing for the most part, not always, obviously this is, you know, there's a bunch of different options here, but for, for this example, there's a lot of times that the bass guitar is kind of playing the low root note of of the guitar. It's kind of helping thicken out the guitar in a lot of places. So what you can do is filter off the low end of the guitar so that the bass has its own space at the bottom of the track. This is minimizing the amount of elements down there in the low end. You're only kind of giving the, uh, maybe a low synth, the kick drum, the bottom of the snare, just like the, the, and I'm talking about the low end, not the bottom mic of a snare that, that actually is more top end, frankly. Um, but you're giving that the bottom of the track. So the bottom of the track can be weighed out and give you a lot of punch without clogging up the bottom end with a whole bunch of low end stuff because that's, that is where it gets to a problem. So four or 500, you know, 300 and below even is where it's the bottom end elements, the kick drum, the bass guitar, some low synths, maybe that kind of stuff is where that stuff lives. Everything else can live more above that and be an extension up from those bottom end elements. And the bottom end elements are an extension of them down below to weigh out the track. So by combining these two, by adding a couple elements that you put in the bottom of the track to, that you put as the low end of the track, plus adding some air on top with a few key elements like your vocal that you need to stand out on top of the track, maybe some airy synths that you can add to, uh, or, or just emphasize the upper end frequencies of them that have those frequencies there. You can now make the track sound more professional because you're, again, you're getting things out of the center, out of that mid range. You're allowing these things to kind of, uh, expand a little bit. You're giving the track more height. Building on that panning thing, we're getting things out of the center of the track to kind of leave the center for, again, the vocal and the key elements. We're panning things out to the side to get them out of that center. Plus we're adding frequencies on top and on bottom and kind of giving each element its own space so that it, there's just less stuff clogging up the same areas. The thing that a lot of people have problems with is that a lot of things clog up the same area of frequencies, which means that you can't really hear any of them because they aren't, uh, th there's not as much differentiation. So that actually leads me to point number three, which is giving each element their own frequency, uh, space and their own focus frequency. So in an element, obviously you're in the mid range for guitars. Let's say, uh, you know, you do a bunch of layers of guitars, uh, for a big rock track. Let's say this is a very easy example. They're all the same guitar. They're all in the same frequency range ish, uh, area, right. But to be able to differentiate them, you need to give them each a different frequency that you kind of boost a little bit or that you cut out of the other ones. And people often also forget about that. You it's, it's just as much about boosting a certain frequency in an element as it is about taking that frequency away in other elements so that they're not clogging up the different things. Again, it's all about not clogging things up. Now, each one is complementing the other ones because they all kind of have the same frequency uh, area, but you're giving each one a different focus frequency. And that's what I kind of call it where that's the 
focus of that instrument. That's the focus of that guitar part. That's the focus of this guitar part. That's the focus of this synth, of this these different elements. Obviously, there are things like vocals where you can't boost too much in certain frequency areas because it's a vocal. It's very has to be very natural. We, especially the vocal, because it's hum, we're human, we know what a voice sounds like. We need that to stay that way. Otherwise, it sounds weird, <laughs> right? Or you're then you're going for a telephone effect or something like that. But with guitars, for instance, in a big wall of guitars, you kind of have the rhythm guitars and maybe they're boosted at 14K. They have a little bit of a point on the 14K. Then you have a kind of an octave guitar that's a little bit higher, like like a lead guitar kind of thing. And maybe you'll boost that at 15K. And then you kind of have maybe some big chugging guitars or something really underneath that's just kind of holding down some weight. Maybe you give that a bit of a boost at 12 or 10K to kind of give it a bit of definition. But again, all of these are at different frequency points. All of them, while they're kind of in the same range, you've given them a different uh, focus frequency to really stand out against the other ones so people can differentiate them when they're listening. So when you do that and you kind of add a focus frequency to certain elements and give it a little bit of a boost at certain areas, the rest of the element, the rest of the frequencies within that element can kind of stay the same. They kind of sit a little bit back in the mix because you've given the focus frequency a bit more uh, a point on it to give it where it is sitting in the mix. Everything else just kind of holds the rest of the track. You might, you know, uh, cut a little bit of frequency out of different elements to allow other elements focus frequencies to sit there nicely and they kind of they blend together more like a puzzle in that way it's not just adding a bunch of stuff and boosting certain frequencies they're still going to get a mess if you do that so you kind of do have to uh, again balance things out where it's it's boosted in one place it has to be cut in another place there's only so many frequencies there's only so much you can add so by cutting elements strategically little bits we're talking little bits here we're talking you know one to maybe three db uh, of boosts here and there and and cuts here and there little one to two db that kind of thing and and little subtleties like that you might not notice them in the moment you might not notice them as you go but they all add up really nicely to clean out your mix and to give each element its own frequency space in the mix. So that is a very oversimplified kind of thing just to get you thinking about it. That could be a whole course on its own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's EQing 101, you know? Um, so that is, uh, that is number three, which is just giving everything its own focus frequency and giving everything its own frequency space as much as possible. The fourth thing that I find is reverb. And this one is actually fairly simple in this overview, at least. What I see a lot of people do is using too much reverb or frankly, not enough. <laughs> um, and what they do with too much reverb, and this is the big culprit that I find, is people seem to put different reverbs on each element. So it sounds like when they're mixing, they solo the element, they, uh, you know, the guitar, the vocal, the lead guitar, the piano, whatever it is, they solo it. They add their EQ, they add the compression, they add the reverb on it and they go, this sounds really nice. And then they put it back in the mix. Then they go to the next element, solo it and make its own, its own reverb on each element kind of thing. And the problem with this is that over the course of a mix, over the course of a bunch of tracks, all these reverbs are now playing. Reverb is very easy to get muddy. Reverb just, that's the nature of the beast, <laughs> frankly. Now, what happens over the course of all these tracks is that every reverb is slightly different because you've tailored it for that exact, uh, that exact element, not the mix in general. And what happens is then every element sounds like it's in a different room. It's in a different space. 
as a listener, one that's messy in just general, because now you've got a lot of frequencies, a lot of different reverbs happening and it's, it just gets muddy very fast. But as a listener, it's also confusing because you have one element that sounds like it's in this church sound, this church reverb or whatever. And it's, you know, got a really long church reverb on it. And then the next element right beside it that's playing sounds like it's in a very short small hall. And then the next one sounds like it's in a church, but it's a short church. Now it's got a big, and you know, it's, that's fine for a few elements and a few different reverbs. But if you do that for every single one and they're all slightly different, it gets confusing. It sounds disjointed. It doesn't glue together. Reverb is a really, really great way to help glue things together. That's why you often see in mixing tutorials and stuff where people use sends and returns. And I, I have a video on my YouTube channel about that. Um, so go check that out using sends and returns, but you, you have a reverb on an aux track or something, and then you send elements to it. So you're adding reverb on each of these elements, but you're adding the same reverb or a set of reverbs. I mean, when I mix, I have five reverbs that I bring into my mix. Generally, I'm generally using, uh, three or four of them in any given mix. And then there are, yes, there are the reverbs that I add for certain guitar parts that that's the effect, like a spring reverb on the guitar, whatever. There are things that do stand out and are very different than are their own thing. But in general, you want to kind of try and stick a little bit more, especially if you're not sure exactly what you're doing, uh, as you're getting started, try and stick to a few set reverbs, a few different reverbs that kind of go, you have a long reverb, a short reverb and a, uh, a, you know, a spring reverb. I don't know. Let's just say, then you either go, I'm going to send this element to the long reverb. I want it to be a longer reverb sound or I want it to be a short reverb sound. Now you can change the short and long reverbs, but it's the same short and long reverb for everything in your mix. This will help clean up your mix exponentially if you do it this way. Instead of having five different reverbs on five different elements that are all short, but one of them's one second, one of them's, uh, you know, 800 milliseconds, another one's 1 1.2 seconds, whatever. You can see how it starts to get a little bit messy and a little bit disjointed. So with reverb, try and think about putting things in similar rooms and similar elements and try and make the band a cohesive, uh, playing in a room because as humans, that's what we think about. Think about a band playing in a room. You're hearing the band in that room, which sounds natural because they're all in the same room. Then you have the guitar player over to the left and they have a spring reverb on their amp and you hear that and that's totally fine. That's still there as all good to go. But you don't have this lovely little, you know, band in a small jazz club. And then you have the vocalist. And when they sing, they have a massive church on them. This doesn't make any sense when they're just standing there in this big, it just, it's disjointed. Now, that being said, of course, there are exceptions and that can be an effect and that can be a thing, but you got to keep, be aware and, and really think about each one of these reverbs and how you're using it and what the effect is that you're going for and what it's, how it's affecting all of the other elements in your mix. So I find that it works really well to kind of have a certain number of reverbs that you bring in that you adjust for the song, but you try and keep all of the elements going to a few of these different reverbs instead of making a reverb per track. That's something that we can now do with plugins, um, which has frankly made a lot of people a messier mixer and a lazier mixer because they can just create a new reverb per element instead of doing the sends and returns and all that stuff that you had to do on a console. So 
it's a good practice to, to try and do that, to keep everything in a similar room in a similar sounding environment or a few set similar sounding environments, um, to really give that glue to the track. It'll really help glue things together and make your mix cleaner overall. And the last thing that I have here, the last one that I find a lot of people do, and this is a whole course on its own. So this is just a very, uh, an overview of it to get you thinking about it. And that is dynamics. I find a lot of people seem to lack dynamics in their mixing. Now, yes, this is something that should happen and start happening from writing even, you know, how things are played, how the song is structured, all that kind of stuff. Then it goes into the engineering and the production as you're recording, how things are played, what elements are used, what symbols are used, what sound they have, what guitar sounds are used, all those kind of things, what's recorded, how it works, how the layers of the vocals work, all that kind of stuff. But then in the mix, you then have the next step. If they didn't really think about that all the way through the other parts or didn't, you know, maximize that, uh, you have the chance in a mix to go to the next level. You need in a mix to create dynamics. You need contrast. We always need contrast. If you have something that's just really big the whole time, uh, you will not understand that it is big right? You need the contrast. If you see a picture of something, for instance, if you see a picture of something and it looks, it's a Godzilla, it's a little, it's a picture of Godzilla. You look at that and you go, okay, cool. It looks big. It's Godzilla. I'm assuming it's big because it's Godzilla. But then if you zoom out and it's actually a tiny little toy of Godzilla beside somebody's hand and you go, oh, it's actually tiny. Now you understand that it's a small uh, little toy of Godzilla, not real Godzilla right? Obviously, because there are, there's contrast. There's something showing you the scale of this. This is the same thing when it comes to music and mixing. Obviously that's not, maybe not the perfect example, but in mixing, it's the same kind of idea. You need to show the small and the big, you need the contrast. So if you want your chorus to really hit, which is obviously most of the time, what you want a chorus to do, especially in something like a rock track, you want the chorus to pop. You want it to be massive or you want it to drop down, which, and have the verse be bigger whatever way you're doing it, that's doesn't really matter. The point is that you need that contrast and to do that, different elements need to be treated different ways. So like we've talked about with panning and reverbs and frequencies and all that kind of stuff, bringing it down and making it slightly less panned out, maybe slightly less wide, slightly less bottom end, um, and bringing it a little bit smaller, making it smaller sounding a little bit makes the chorus. Then you can widen it back out. You can put more bottom end in, you can that kind of stuff to make that section pop. So people try and just make things as loud as possible all the way through, but you need to really emphasize dynamics in the mix. That's the last stage to be able to do that. You can still have things be loud. If you listen to certain metal tracks and certain rock tracks, if you look at the waveform, they still, yes, they look like a sausage. Um, and sometimes you can, you can see exactly where they had dips, where they had a, uh, everything cut out for a second or whatever. And that's again, adding dynamics, but it can still look like a sausage and volume wise be very similar, but yet you can still create dynamics and uh, those contrasts with the frequencies. For instance, if you have a vocal, you can have a vocal that sounds really good and sounds loud and it's, you know, at minus four dB, whatever, you know, however you measure that. And then you, uh, for instance, put on, let's say a telephone effect where it filters out the bottom and, so, and the top of the, of the vocal and adds maybe a bit of distortion on it. Let's say this, this element now 
sounds smaller. People recognize that that sounds smaller. That's a, a dip in, in, in dynamics. That is a smaller element. That's for instance, something that you could use in a transition from a verse to a chorus to really make it small. But that element, that telephone filtered vocal can still be technically the same level and loudness as the full frequency vocal. So that just shows you that you can use frequency and those alterations to make the dynamics, not just volume. It doesn't have to be volume. Now, obviously if you filter out the vocal and bring it down in volume, you'll create an even bigger amount of dynamics. And that's, you know, never a bad thing really. Um, and, but it's something that you gotta be aware of and that you have to uh, lean into. So for instance, things that are smaller are less low end, less top end, more filtered out effects, more panned in the center, less layered. Um, those are things that people seem to think of as being smaller, as being, you know, a verse for instance. And then all of those things kind of come back to being full on, on the chorus. So if you mix the biggest thing you possibly can should be the biggest pinnacle point in the song and then start taking things away and altering the elements to come down for the verses. Um, that's one way to approach it. And that's one way some people do other people in production. They, they start with having less elements in the verse. And then when it, the chorus hits, they add more elements, they add more weight uh, to the, to the chorus. They add more synths just to thicken up the bottom end of the chorus to make it pop, to make it bigger. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different things like that. Add more layers that, that bring up the dynamics in the chorus versus the verse. Um, take away certain things like that, building the verse up over the course of the verse. So the first half of the verse has like no elements or very few elements. And then you add one extra guitar part in the second half to kind of build it up. That's all helping build dynamics and build build just more interest in the song instead of it just being a sausage the whole way through and just never really changing. You need that change. You need that contrast for people to go, Oh, this is epic. This is awesome. You need contrast in your mixes. So that is a very uh, brief description of that, but hopefully it gets you thinking about, you have to add dynamics in your mix, in your productions, in your recordings, everything like that. When you're recording, often we try and record the most full sound possible of an element. And that's totally fine. And I do the same thing because then I have more to manipulate with in mixing. But what often I find is a lot of people try and record it as best sounding as possible. And then in mix, they don't want to make it not sound like that. So then they just end up falling into that trap of having no dynamics and not filtering things out, and not, you know, messing with the sound too much. And that's where you fall into the trap of just not having any dynamics or contrast in your mix. And that is really, really important, uh, to, to have. So don't shy away from altering the things you've recorded and they sound pristine and great. That's amazing. But you need to create those dynamics and create smaller elements and smaller sections to be able to have the bigger sections pop out more and have less energy versus more energy. The whole thing to give the listener more energy versus less energy, more dynamics. You just need that dynamic shift and the contrast in your mixes. So that is it for this episode, guys. I hope that gave you some ideas. I hope that gave you some thoughts on how to create better mixes, what you should be looking out for in your own mixes. Again, these are things that I've just noticed a lot from my mix feedback, which you can go find at anacreates.ca slash mix feedback. So go there and submit your track. Uh, there is a free one. If you use hello feedback uh, as the code on checkout, you can get a free mix feedback from me. Just check it out, try it out, see what you think. Um, 
and find out if it's if it's helpful to you. Got a lot of positive comments about it and people seem to really love it. So thank you very much to everybody that's participated so far. I really appreciate you. I really love seeing your mixes. I love seeing your mixing develop. I love seeing how you you take my feedback and uh, and use it in your mixes and in your future productions. So that's super cool to see. And this was just kind of a, a crash course overview of things that I find people do or or don't do in their mixing uh, that they should do that I give that that same kind of feedback a lot. So I thought I would summarize it in kind of five main tips and five main things for a podcast episode. So anyway, hopefully that gave you some ideas. I will see you in the next episode. Until then, always be creating. Oh, 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 oh,